to the UIAAA Connection podcast. The UIAAA would not be able to broadcast this podcast without the support of our business partners. Thank you to all the gold and silver business partners of the UIAAA, BSN Sports, and our contact, Jeremy Macy. Final Forms AMP with contacts, Julie Renner and Clay Burnett. Granite Canyon Wealth and our contact, Megan Palazzo. Jostens with contact, Molly Shaheen. NCSA, next college student athlete and our contact, Paul Putnam. VNN Varsity News Network and our contact in Utah, Jason Jones. Thanks again to all of the gold and silver UIAAA business partners. Welcome back to another edition of the UIAAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. We're happy to have our guest today, Carol Dazebrin, who's the Executive Director of the New Hampshire Athletic Directors Association. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be with you. Well, and thanks so I much. Really, I really appreciate you inviting me. Well, you know, we only have famous people on this show, so you were right <laughs> at the top of the list. So I'm not so sure why I'm here then. <laughs> Let's start by asking you just to share with our listeners in Utah and across the nation where you grew up, maybe where you went to college, your participation in youth sports, mm -hmm. that type of a thing. Sure. Um, I'm a New Hampshire native. I grew up in Salem, New Hampshire, which is a town on the Massachusetts border. Um, I was very active as a child. I skied, I was a bike rider. I rode my bike to school a lot. Um, even though I was um, a, a, a bus student um, in the good weather, I used to ride a lot. Um, and the neighborhood boys taught me how to play softball. There was a big field across the street and uh, we all used to get together in the afternoon and play softball. So. You know, I, I did have an active childhood. Um, I ended up going to school at St. Mary's High School in Lawrence, Massachusetts, was, mm -hmm. which uh, was a parochial all-girls um, school. The all-boys school was right across the street, so that was pretty convenient. And um, I played basketball in high school. And um, my senior year, they started um, a volleyball and a softball team, which started off as more an intramurals. Um, but mm -hmm. then once I graduated, obviously that grew. So um, I went to uh, Plymouth State College. I had majored in physical education with a concentration in health. And um, I played, I tried out for the basketball team and didn't make it, which quite honestly was no big surprise to me, but, um, but stayed very active throughout college, uh, participated on a lot of the intramural teams that they had played um, intramural basketball, played um, um, intramural badminton on the bowling team. Um, I was the manager for the women's lacrosse program so um, again, stayed pretty active in college and then graduated in um, 1977. And honestly, I was lucky enough to get a teaching job because at that time, the, um, there was such a glut of teachers. Everybody went to college to become a teacher. So mm -hmm. um, I was lucky enough to secure a teaching job 
and um, stayed in that job for a couple of years and um, moved on to other positions. So I don't know if you want me to talk about that now okay, or if let's, <laughs> let's Let's go back to something I want to talk about quickly before we get to that next part. So <clears throat> I'm assuming this is somewhere in the early 70s and if it's a parochial school, maybe Title IX didn't have an effect, but I'm wondering if you were of that generation, well, I, I'm guessing you were and you weren't because you were at a private school right. of the first generation of, of young women that got to play once Title IX came out. So address that if you could for a minute. Sure. Um, you know, to be honest with you, um, really had no effect at my school because it was an all girls school. And, um, but I know that some of the friends that I had who were playing um, sports at the local high school, it opened a lot more doors for them. Um, because basically field hockey was offered for um, a lot of the public high school girls in, as a fall sport. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even soccer wasn't being offered to the girls, but the boys had soccer and football. Um, there was cross country, but, um, there weren't very many girls participating. So once title nine came in, it opened up so many doors for so many, um, so many young women. And, um, but I think, you know, I think title nine is somewhat misunderstood because it's not, then it was more about girls, but now it's mm -hmm. not as, you know, it's not as about girls as it was, you know, back to make it, you know, um, you know, given that equality at the time. So, yeah. um, yeah, but yeah, I do, I did have a lot of friends who were, who were very excited about being able to, um, play some sports that, you know, they had done in their neighborhoods, but when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have the youth sports that are available today, mm -hmm. you know? it was what you played in your neighborhood, what you played in your backyard. Um, you know, there weren't organized um, sports for girls like they have in, in this day and age. Absolutely. So talk to us for a minute about, so I'm assuming, did you, did you get into coaching at all once you started teaching at a high school long before you became an AD? And I, I assume that's the case. So talk to us about maybe some of the mentors you had in coaching or even once you got involved in the NIAAA that made a difference? In your sure. Um, yes, I did. Um, in my first teaching job, I was the um, JV girls basketball coach. And it was a job that I stayed in. And that teaching uh, job was, um, I was there for two years before I changed um, schools. And I, the, the mentor that I had, um, in that, there were two mentors actually, and it was the varsity girls basketball coach who had been at that school, knew the community well, knew the game of basketball well, and the boys basketball coach who eventually became the principal of the school um, long after I had left. But, um, you know, two, um, two men who were uh, passionate about the game of basketball and knew the game inside and out and certainly taught me um, more about how to deal with um, your players 
mm-hmm. um, which I thought was, you know, at the time I was like, okay, I need to know more about X's and O's, but you know, they, because they were seasoned coaches, they had a lot to offer both ways, you know, but I think because I was 21 years old in my first job. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, some of those, um, some of the students I had and, and some of the players on the team were close to my age. So sure. it was, it was about relationships back then, you know, which now I'm thankful for. Um, but they did teach me a lot about the X's and O's as well. And, um, when I left that, um, left that school and I went on to teach and coach at a middle school, um, which was a whole different scenario, uh, leaving a high school situation, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, moving on to the middle school, I found that I really needed to act more like them in order to survive. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, but, um, you know, and that was a little bit different because, you know, it wasn't the same, um, same type of mentors, you know, so, um, but I did pick up um, cross country and track and field. And I did have a great mentor. Um, The head cross country coach was a great mentor to me. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about um, running and uh, that really helped me with that program. Excellent. Let me, let me ask you then when you first started coaching JV girls basketball, because my first coaching job when I started in 79 was varsity basketball. And of course, I'd never coached basketball before. But in my situation, it's 1979. And we got stuck in the girls gym. And the boys were in there. So my question is in New Hampshire, did was there equal sharing of the gym? back in those days, like hopefully it is now, or, or did yeah. you just always get rid? Cause I can remember that on one hand, the amount of times I got to practice in the big gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in the school that I was working in, we had one gym. So um, oh, there okay. wasn't a girl's gym and a boy's gym. So, you know, there was one gym, but we, we got equal time, you know, the, the girls had the same amount of hours for practice as the boys did. So yeah, it wasn't an issue back then. So, but no, I certainly understand what you're talking about. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's the crazy thing about that is, so my first year coaching girls basketball, January comes around, which is when our league starts. So we're halfway through the season. And then my practice time gets pushed back another three hours because the gymnastics team gets to practice in front of me, but the gymnastics team doesn't start until the middle of March when our season's over. But my answer to that is obviously when you've won 10 state championships in a row, and if you're me, the basketball coach, here's the funny story. I asked the girls, or I asked the principal, what was the record of the girls the previous year? And he says, oh, for six. I said, what do you mean, oh, for six? You had to play more than six games. He says, no, no, they're oh for six years. We have never won a game since Title IX came around when they started. So that that's a crazy thing. Yeah. So well, let me ask. Yeah. I will ahead. tell you this one thing though. In in um, when I was playing basketball in high school, there were six players on the court. Oh, the three and the three. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's so. So you know. 
there was a transition of learning the game, you know, so, cause that changed, I think it was my junior year of high school. So yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Well, that dates us because I know. a lot of our listeners aren't going to understand what they're talking about, three on one side and three on the other. I know, I know. Before we get on to some more serious questions, I do have a a somewhat somewhat silly question. It dates us. I go back to my younger days, and I used to love the Kingston Trio. And mm-hmm. I, I bring this story up because you and I spoke about it years and years ago at the September conference in Indianapolis. But one of my favorite songs was the uh, the MTA with Charlie stuck on the train. And then you told me an interesting story about that that I never knew. So I'd like you to share that with the MTA and the past that they have now named after the song or actually named after Charlie. Right. Well, um, MTA was, um, I, th- I believe it was called the Massachusetts Transit Authority and it was confusing. So uh, once upon a time, they changed it to MBTA. So, you know, I know it as the MBTA, which mm-hmm. is the Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority. But um, what happened was um, there was, uh, they were looking, the Massachusetts Transit Authority was looking to have a fare increase and, you know, people weren't real happy about having a fare increase. Mm-hmm. So rather than modify, they would have to modify all the turnstiles for mm-hmm. the new rate. And they really didn't want to do that. So they figured it was just easier if they collected money as people got off the train. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, that's, that's basically what happened. And poor Charlie didn't have the money. He had the money to get on the train, but he didn't have the money to get he off. He didn't have so. the money to get off the train. And so uh, now you tell me that they have, uh, they don't call it a, a monthly pass. They call it a, a Charlie pass. Charlie pass. At, named after the song. Right, right. Yeah. And so I think, well, at least for the, the more mature ADs that are our age, that'll have a little bit of ring to it. The, young, the younger ADs are going, what are these old people, are these talking, people about? talking about? Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, the funniest, you know, I did a little more research on that too. And um, there was a, a man by the name of Walter O'Brien and he was running for um, a can, he was running for the mayor of Boston mm-hmm. as a member of the progressive party. And the text of the song was written for one of his, you know, for part of his campaign. So, yes. That's fascinating. So he would go around the city of Boston blaring this this song and he got fined $10 for disturbing the peace. That's uh, that's funny. Well, th- thanks for sharing that because I don't know if that's any interest to anyone else, but I, I find no. that fascinating because it's a song from my youth. But yeah. So yeah. when did you become an athletic administrator? Um. So my um, it was my fourth year um, in as an educator. Um, it was the start of the third year that I was at that middle school. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the, um, my coworker um, had come to me and said, I'm going to give up the AD position because he had uh, young children. And he said, I have more responsibilities at home. Is that something that you'd be interested in? And I said, well, will I still be able to coach? And he said, yeah, I think you'd still be able to coach, but is it something that you'd be interested in? And I said, well, I had never really given it much thought because I had thought about going back to school, getting a master's degree. And 
I wasn't really sure what I wanted my master's degree in, but I had never really thought about athletic administration. So um, I met with him to find out more about the position. I met with my uh, principal and they said, no, we think that, you know, this is something that you'd be good at. And I said, okay. So I ended up getting the position. And um, after spending seven years in that school, I had made the decision to pursue a master's degree. So I took a sabbatical. Okay. And I, um, I went on to get my master's in athletic administration and physical education. So I had to go back to that school for two years or pay them back the money that they gave me while I was on sabbatical. So, sure. um, so I went back, but then after that, I uh, moved on to um, two other schools where I was um, an athletic administrator for grades six through 12 at one and then nine through 12 at another. So, so it's been over 30 years since you've become an AD. And my question to you is, think about your first job as athletic director and think about your job now as athletic director and how has it changed? I, I would say it's changed pretty significantly. Um, you know, what I initially did was a lot of, um, a lot of scheduling, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's games and buses and, um, you know, meetings with coaches. Now um, there's, there's so much more that goes into the job. The, um, it's so much more encompassing and there's a lot more parent involvement uh, than there had been. Uh, you know, there was a, parents were always involved, mm -hmm. um, but uh, more in a supportive role than some of them are today. Um, you know, there's a lot more sports now. There's a lot more teams. Um, there's a lot of uh, student athletes who are involved in outside activities that um, oftentimes uh, pose a an issue with the school um, and their and their athletic programs. Um, you know, the concern about the mental health of the athlete now mm -hmm. um, has been huge as well it should be. Um, but now with COVID, it's even more so. It's not just the mental health of the athlete, it's the mental health of the student. Um, sure. You know, and honestly, the mental health of, of the athletic administrator. Um, because, you know, athletic administrators, I don't think have had ever thought that they would find themselves in the situation that they're in today, you know. No, that's so, well said. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I know we first met, and of course, it's been years and years ago now, but I think we first met back when you were the state coordinator for the New Hampshire athletic directors. And of course, we met at those September meetings, but share some of the success, successes that you enjoyed uh, being the state coordinator in New Hampshire and of course, sharing the leadership training courses and certification with the ADs there in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, I, you know, as a state coordinator, uh, it was just exciting to be able to bring leadership training courses away from the national conference and bring them mm -hmm. right into your state, you know? Uh, and of course, 
back then they were taught live at a conference or, you know, you would offer them outside of your conference at a meeting and people would drive there and they would take the courses. And I think that um, it just provided such an opportunity for um, the New Hampshire athletic administrators to um, gain knowledge and have the opportunity to network with other people in the room talking about what they do every day, not talking about necessarily a situation that just happened, you know, when you pick up the phone and call someone sure. and say, what would you do? But, you know, it, but working through real life scenarios through the leadership training courses. And um, as a result, we have had more, um, more of our members um, go through the different levels of certification, you know, back um, at the time, you know, we were excited about, you know, asking people to pursue the CAA. Mm -hmm. Now we have people RAA, CAA, and CMAA, and those numbers are growing within our state. And we're a small state. So, you know, even if we have, you know, two, three, four, five people um, each year, you know, that's growth sure. for us, you know, so we're excited about that. How many schools in New Hampshire? How many high schools? 89. Okay, so Utah's, and we think we're a small state. We're about 150, including charters. Mm -hmm. But being from a smaller state, that makes a little bit of a difference. So talk to me about your journey with the NIAAA. I've been with the NIAAA since the mid-90s. I assume maybe you were involved before that. Um, I became a member, um, the high school, when I was at the middle school, the high school um, athletic director had said to me, I want you to um, become a member of the NIAAA. I'm like, what's that? You know, so yeah. he had explained what it was. And he said, I just think that it would be good for you. And he knew that I was looking to move on to a high school position. So um, he said, you know, uh, the district will pay your membership. And, you know, so that was back probably mid eighties. So okay. to be honest with you, I was a member, but really, you know, was not active in the association, nor did I attend national conferences at that point. So, um, so when was I, your first national conference? My first national conference was 1991. And I went there to take the CAA exam. And of course, okay. back, then, back then there back wasn't then, very many CAAs at all. No. And back then there was, you know, you didn't take L LTI classes, exactly. order, you know, so it's in Orlando. You're going to love this story. It's in Orlando mm -hmm. and I pack a suitcase that has mm -hmm. articles magazines, books, because I'm going to study for this exam. They sure. did not have, they did not have any of the materials that they have today to prepare you. I'm sitting out by the pool at the Marriott, reading all these things, paranoid to go in to take this 100 question exam, you know, not having a clue sure. what they might be asking me. So anyway. Um, and it was so was it at the was it at the World Center in 91 the same it was it the was. same big one that we've been to quite a few times now exactly exactly so after that um you know I was quite excited when I 
found out that I, I had passed the, the CAA exam. Mm -hmm. um, so that was in 91. And I'm going to say it was probably, and I, I think it was in San Diego. I was in a hospitality suite and there were probably like three people there. It was in the middle of the afternoon and I had just gone up to try to meet some people and um, Fred Balsamo walked in. Okay. And uh, we just got talking and um, he said, you know, being from section one, you know, we want to get more people involved. And, you know, so we had a great conversation. Well, lo and behold, he called me not too long after that and said he had been asked to um, put a team together to um, author what at the time was called 503, which was the citizenship class, which is now okay. performance beyond the X's and O's, which is now renumbered as 703. So, um, so in 1997, we, um, I worked with Paul Jansen and Fred to, um, to co-author that course. And so that was my real first involvement with the NIAAA. And then, um, you know, um, I became- well, be, before, you, before you get to be a board member, let me uh, talk to you. You brought up the 503. The interesting point, at least from my end, is I took the 503 in Las Vegas in 98. And I, I remember, and I think you were part of the faculty then, because if I remember right, and I didn't know who you were, I didn't know who Freddie was. And I think Tim Flannery maybe was on there with, if I remember right, but I- No, it was Paul Jansen. Okay. And so the, there's like yep. three of you, but I remember it was, a, it was <laughs> yeah. 120 people. Right. And, and we were at these round tables and you'll appreciate this though, but at my table <clears throat> were three people that I'd never met before that I've become lifelong friends with, Craig Perry, Ed Lockwood, and Bobby Rossi. Oh. And so <clears throat> from that 1998, when that class that you were teaching, then obviously I, I've gained those three friends and of course many others. So that's interesting. So let's go back now and... <clears throat> You obviously, I'm assuming, was it New Hampshire's turn or did you run for the at-large when you went on the board? No, it was, um, it was at-large. It was at-large. So, so I was, um, I was the liaison um, from New Hampshire. Um, so, you know, I was attending our section one meetings and got to know people in section one and you know, Fred and his posse um, <laughs> suggested, <laughs> suggested that um, I run and I, you know, I, I'm looking at these people like they're half crazy, but, um, you know, I think sometimes people see something in you that you don't care to see yourself. Sure. And, um, but anyway, I ended up running. Um, and again, uh, we were back in Orlando. So back at the Marriott World Center. <laughs> and so that would have been 2001. Mm -hmm. 2001. And that's, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which, so which brings I, up I another interesting happen. story because I was there because I remember when you ran. Um, the story is, is I was. I went to, my wife was with me and we went over to, to Disney World with some people, but I had to leave because there was a state, let me say it right, 
it was the very first state awards chair meeting okay. back in 2000. This is before I was on the awards committee. Mm -hmm. And so I go back and I remember I go to this meeting and there was four people there, me and three other people I didn't know. And of course, now the state awards chair meeting is attended by, I want to say, close to 45 states. Right. So that's that's another thing on how far the NIAAA has come. So now now that we have you on the board, share with us uh, what it's like to be on the board, because very few people, you and I have had that opportunity, mm -hmm. get that opportunity and and what a special thing it is and maybe some special stories that you think about back yeah. in that time. You know, some of the the people that um, I met on the board. Um, you know, and I had been going to conferences for about 10 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you see all these people in their blue blazers and, you you know, they're, you know, you kind of, you look up to them and say, wow, you know, exactly. they, they know their job. They know everybody. Um, and when they speak, you just sit and listen, you know. And you just hope that you can gain a piece of the knowledge that, that they have and be able to take it back. And, you know, when I walked into my first um, board meeting um, at the end of the conference, I just looked around that room and went, is this real? Am I having a, a, a dream or is this for real? Because these are all people that I had looked up to, you know, for the past several oh, absolutely. years. Absolutely. And um, couldn't believe I was sitting at the same table with them, you know. So, um, you know, I just, um, I, I enjoyed my time on the board. I really did. And I, I think probably more than anything else was just the camaraderie. Absolutely. Um, around that table and just the amount of fun that we had outside of the meetings, mm -hmm. you know, just let your hair down. We're not in a meeting situation, you know, laugh, have fun. Not that, you know, you can't laugh at the, at the meetings, um, but really, you know, um, open up to each other. And the fact that, you know, I still see some of these people still keep in sure. touch with them, get birthday cards from them. You know, it, it's, it was just a really special time. And, you know, it, it really amazes me. Um, you know, through the state coordinators and through my time on the board, the, the connections that I have made with people that, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, Mark, there's a lot of people who know me that I don't know that they know me, exactly. you know, and how that happens. I, I don't really know. You know, when I had gotten a phone call from Rich Barton in June, I'm yeah. like, Rich Barton knows me, you know, like, you know, do I say, do I pass Rich sure. at a conference and say, hi, Rich? And he says, hi, Carol. But like, does he really know me? You know, um, and when I had gotten a phone call from him, I, you know, I was driving and I was pulling into a, a, a supermarket at that time. And thank God I had pulled off the road because I probably would have, when he said, this is Rich Barton, I would have been like, huh? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Why are you calling me? You know, so, um, you know, but to be able to pick up the phone, um, and call someone in Oregon. And I did that because we were, we were putting in a new track mm -hmm. and, um, and we had, um, joined the consortium 
that the NIAAA had offered at one point. And, yes. you know, I said to my uh, facilities guy, hey, look, for $25, we can join this consortium, told him about it. And he said, for $25, you know, you can't go wrong. So we ended up joining and he, he called me one afternoon. He goes, uh, there's a company in Oregon who won the bid. Now, what do I do? said, not a problem. I'll make a phone call. I picked up the phone and called Bill Bowers because I knew him mm -hmm. through state coordinator. Absolutely. You know, and I said, Bill, Carol Dozebrin. And before I got out of my mouth from New Hampshire, he's like, Carol, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, but to be able to do that, it's, you know, it's, it's just amazing, you know, that you have these connections and, uh, you know, I know you can do it too. You pick up the phone and you can call at least one or two people in every state and feel Absolutely. comfortable having a conversation with them. And I think that's what the NIAAA does. It brings people together um, to have these wonderful connections and relationships and friendships um, that are for a lifetime. That is so well said because I look back at my life as an AD in 1992 before I really became involved with the NIAAA and I was lucky if I could call two or three people in Utah, if I knew two or three ADs in Utah. And now it's exactly, it's exactly like you say, you can call up people, they know you, you can share, you bring up Big Rich, which then brings me to one of the questions that I wanted to discuss because my understanding is he has you as a co-author of another LTI course the parenting course. And mm -hmm. so I wanted you to talk about that and the interesting journey that that's been and some of the, the key points that we're trying to, to put across in that course when it becomes a course, I'm assuming in December, is that right? Is that when we want to roll that's it out? The plan. Yes, that's the plan. Roll yeah. it out for the state, yeah. for the coordinators in September, and then mm -hmm. <laughs> go through yeah. that fire and right. refine it yeah. and then get it ready for the for the Denver conference. So speak to the parenting yeah. course. We have to get, get to the board first in July. So yes. yeah, we're going through all the hoops, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, honestly, like I said, when I got that phone call from Rich in June, I was like, what? Why is Rich calling me? You know? So I was I was more than humbled when he had asked me to be part of this group, um, knowing um who was already part of it which was, you know, Rich, Mike Elson, mm -hmm. Doug Kilgore, and um, Jake Von Scher. So I'm like, sure. this is a major heavy hitters here. Why is he calling me? <laughs> um, he called you for the same reason I called you to be on our show. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Got you fooled, don't I? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, so, um, you know, there are others that have been added. Kathy, um, Kathy Ong. Um, and um, Vicki Nelms. Um, I heard and KP's maybe joined it. Yeah. Candace Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a great group of people and varied backgrounds. Um, it's an international group with Kathy on that and, sure. um, you know, with her um, in the Philippines. So Honestly, the court course is much needed and probably well overdue, um, yeah. you know, because um, our focus of the course is a way to partner with parents. And, you know, we right. use that term partnering um, quite a bit throughout the course. Um, 
you know, so many times parents are viewed as adversaries mm-hmm. and, you know, we've all had those adversarial parents that we've had to deal with. Um, Absolutely. But um, basically what we're trying to do is give um, athletic administrators the tools to um, conduct meetings with parents um, and have it not be adversarial and involve parents in ways that um, it's going to help your relationship with them. It's because it's all about relationships. And the people who get caught in the middle are the kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to avoid the student athletes from, you know, you know, so the more um, we're putting together a resource manual that will have articles and books and videos, um, especially um, videos that we may, uh, people may have done at their parent meetings, parent and Mm -hmm. student athlete meetings at the beginning of seasons. So that, you know, sometimes, you know, um, if someone says, gee, I want to do something different, at, at least they'll have something that they can look at and say, oh, I like that idea. And maybe, you know, pull a variety of things to make it their own. But, um, but we are, we have probably seven different folders of resources, you know, broken up into, into different, um, topics. That's, so, that's incredible. That's can't wait to take that course in September. I'm, we're running close to out of time, so I still have a couple of topics I want to get to. So quickly, speak to our audience about your involvement now with the NEDC because you're now the executive director of the New Hampshire group. Yeah, um, that's been a lot of fun. Um, um, again, and I'm, you know, poor Fred, I feel like I'm picking on him, but we didn't have an executive director until 2017. Mm-hmm. And it was Fred and a few of you others who, uh, yes. <laughs> who um, you know, kept pushing the envelope there um, about, um, you know, the states that didn't have one and why not and what are you going to do? So that was probably around 2015-ish. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I brought it back to our board and, and I was only the liaison at that time. So I said, look, we're one of five or six states without one. Uh, we really need to look at, into this. So we did. And um, so for a couple of years, we worked on it. And um, our president at the time had uh, uh, worked with Fred and God love him, Marty Ryan. He spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with Marty. Sure. Um, and you know, asked for some thoughts and some help. And um, so we ended up putting together a a job description and, um, and quite honestly, I wasn't interested. You know, everyone was like, well, you're going to apply. And I'm like, no, no, I'm still working. I'm I'm not applying for this job. And um, as we got into the weeds a little bit, um, I said, I guess it kind of makes sense. I, you know, I had the NIAAA background. I had, Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, a lot more, I guess, experience than some other people who, um, and really there weren't a lot of people who were considering it, to be honest with you. You know, we had a, a lot outside of our AD, we had coaches who were interested in it. So, um, 
So I said, well, I'll put in for it and see what happens. And um, so I'll tell you the fact that um, I'm having the opportunity to um, renew some old friendships mm-hmm. and um, really um, get the information that we're looking for, whether it's, you know, asking Jim Wright to send out a, a survey or sure. whether it, um, you know, just picking up the phone and calling people or emailing people, you know, uh, you know, that's what we do best. We pick each other's brains and steal each other's ideas and everybody has the blessing of each other to do all those things. So, you know, you know, when you hear a great idea, you know, why not, why not fly with it? You know? So, um, so that's, that's been a lot of fun. And I really hope that um, we can meet this summer. Yes. You Absolutely, know, because we missed it last summer. It'll yeah. be a fun time. Let me just finish with this one question then. What question should I have asked you that I failed to ask you? I don't know. I think that you did a great job. I think probably the only question you didn't ask me that you could have is how many times have I skied this winter? And I'm assuming that's got to be <laughs> hopefully four or five dozen. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> yes, yesterday was 22 days. So um, so I'm hoping that I've got at least a dozen good days left that I can get to the mountain. So well, that's excellent. So thanks you once again, Carol, for being our guest on the show for our listeners. We hope you join us again next week for the UI AAA Connection. Once again, our guest this week, Carol Dazebrun, Executive Director of the New Hampshire Athletic Directors. Thanks, Carol, and have a great week. I'm humbled by your invite. Thank you so much, Mark. 